Yo, 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 my listeners, my loves. How y'all doing today? I hope it's all good. I hope it's all love. You know, I've been doing a lot of thinking lately. It never ends. I'm the curious cat. Truly. That's my essence. I'm convinced. As of recently, I've been doing a lot of studying on this topic that I hear in the news all the time. This phrase keeps coming up, keeps coming up. And I hear people talking about it, but like nobody's telling me what it is. You know, nobody's telling me what it is. This thing, this buzzword, this trigger is critical race theory. Now, today in the studio, by in the studio, I mean um, on a Zoom call, (laughs) I have the assistant district attorney, Ms. Donna McBeth of Philadelphia. Please, please give her a round of applause, please. Now, from what I understand, you're very well equipped to educate and inform me on this matter. Am I correct in saying that? That's what you said. I hope I live up to your expectations. Ah, the modesty, the modesty. I love it. So tell us a little about yourself. Well, let me say none of my views obviously represent my office. That's just my career title. But my name is Dana Macbeth. I'm from Brooklyn, New York. I went to the illustrious Howard University for undergrad. And then I went to Fordham University School of Law for law school. And upon graduating, I came into my role as an ADA. In law school, I was afforded the privilege and opportunity to take a critical race theory class, which was my introduction to critical race theory in 2017 with my professor, Tanya Hernandez, who's another person who is obviously a pioneer and expert in the field, Hmm. especially as it pertains to intersectionality. That was my introduction to CRT. Obviously, it was something new for me then as well, even though it existed way prior to that. But since then, obviously, 2017, CRT has, like you said, come up more recently as a buzzword and as a trigger for the given climate in society since around 2020. Though I just took a class in 2017, I've had a lived experience since 1990, telling my age. Uh, (laughs) After the class itself and the introduction to the framework in the academic field, Once I got into my career, I tried to use what I had learned, but especially now, given how it's trying to be weaponized, it's come back to the forefront for me. Hmm. Thank you so much for that. Now, it's interesting how you said that it's being weaponized. I want to like expound upon that a little bit, but a theory is not a fact, a law or mandate. It is a system of ideas intended to explain something. I only say that because I want to clarify, you know, we need to come to a commonplace when we're talking about the terms and the definitions of words. Otherwise, we won't get anywhere, you know, so we must agree upon at least what the words mean that we're that we're speaking on. Theories are but a framed lens to see the world through. But today, the mere mention of a specific theory, CRT, is inciting a quote-unquote culture war. So why is there so much controversy surrounding this topic? We have to recognize that this is a manufactured controversy. As I mentioned, this is something that has existed for decades. 
And for it now to be weaponized in this way, it was very strategic, especially given the current climate. So we have to recognize the strategy and the manufacturing of the controversy and looking to see why now is this controversy being conflated with CRT? Why are they manufacturing this controversy and wrapping it, this controversy, this time, why are they wrapping it in CRT? Because ultimately it's the same controversy that we've been seeing since the existence or the makeup of this country. Mm-hmm. It's the controversy to protect the status quo. It's the controversy to protect certain people. It's the controversy to protect whiteness. And it's now even extending explicitly the controversy to protect white feelings and emotions. And so if we look at the packaging of the manufactured controversy this time around, because like I said, the controversy itself isn't different, just the manufacturing and the packaging is what is different. And this time in using CRT, we just really have to go back to what's the underlying substance underneath the packaging. And it's really just another means to kill multiracial democracy. And it's another means to fortify the structure that has created and upheld America from the beginning. Hmm. So I believe your question was, why is there so much controversy surrounding this topic? There's not. It's the same controversy that has existed since 17 whoever, 16 whoever. It's the same controversy that has always existed. It's just being manufactured and packaged differently given the current climate. Because the architects of this controversy this time around have even explicitly, they've gotten so bold now as to explicitly state their objective. I mean, they were as explicit when they wrote the Constitution, but it's just, once again, packaged differently. So now they are stating their objective and we're seeing that in their deeds. We're seeing that in legislation. We're seeing that in politics. We're seeing that in media, especially because now we have the media in such a booming fashion where any and everyone has a platform, any and everyone can have a voice, any and everyone can have the opportunity to spew their politics. And so now we're seeing the stated objective and we're hearing it very explicitly and why this controversy exists. There was one quote from someone from the right who I won't name for sake of giving them bandwidth, but they literally quoted that the goal is to have the public read something crazy in the newspaper and immediately think CRT. Mm. So that quote tells us that this is not about CRT. Right, right. I'm creating the same controversy that protects whiteness. And now it is just being manufactured and packaged this time around with CRT as its bow. It's so interesting to hear you say this. I was reading something that a friend of mine sent me, um, an excerpt from a book. I wish I knew what the book was, but it went, a corrupt oligarchy can prolong its rule indefinitely by inciting a constant and consistent stream of crises. That was a very interesting concept and to intertwine it with what you just said, you know, um, all of these controversies are being manufactured and it's been it's been happening. Um, it predates CRT and it, it goes back to the origin of this country and possibly even further than that. You know, um, this there's been an underlying problem and a mask has been used to hide the true nature of it so that it can continue to move through time. You know, reporter Ryan P. Delaney on the education desk at 
St. Louis Public Radio. He covers higher education and the many school districts in the St. Louis region. He said this, when you have a three to four minute segment on a morning news program that throws out words like critical race theory without trying to define them accurately, that just feeds into anything that might talk about diversity in some parents' minds like, oh, this is critical race theory. So it's being turned into this buzzword that sets people off, like we referenced earlier. So as a means to come to a position where we're understanding one another and we have a clear definition of terms, please tell me, what is critical race theory? Critical race theory is an academic field that allows us to understand the dimensions of racism, anti-racism, white supremacy, inequality, inequity. Like you mentioned earlier, theory is just a lens through which you can now see the world. And similarly, critical race theory is just that framework that helps us understand specifically how race and racism shape our laws, our policies, our structures, our experiences. So it's a framework, it's an academic field, it's a lens through which we can now understand the dimensions of racism. Hmm. So conservative white parents say that talking about systemic racism is just indoctrinating their students. And many say it's Marxist and it is making their kids feel bad for being white. How did that come to be? How did the term critical race theory become a triggering phrase or buzz term to incite that kind of ideology? Well, I think this brings together a lot of the thoughts we've already discussed. One, as you said before, that there's no clear definition that certain people are seeking. And when you don't define something or when you don't accept a definition, you can create your own. Mm -hmm. So that gives them the space to not actually look at the definition or the understanding of CRT, but to create their own narrative around it. Thus, when I can create my own narrative around it, I can, as we said earlier, manufacture a controversy and wrap it in CRT because now I am controlling the narrative of what this is. And the same person who said that the goal is to read something crazy and then have people immediately think of CRT also said that they have successfully frozen the brand of CRT into the public conversation and they're steadily driving up negative perceptions that will eventually turn it toxic. As we put all of the various culture insanities, this is a quote, mm-hmm. under that same brand category. So now you're feeding into the narrative that the manufacturing narrative that CRT encompasses all the cultural insanities and cultural insan- insanities are really just synonymous with the narratives that attack white feelings, the narratives that attack whiteness, the narratives that attack white power, the narratives that attack white supremacy. So they have to consider all of those narratives toxic and place them under CRT and redefine CRT to mean that through their narrative. Mm. And if you look at where that narrative comes from, it literally, once again, comes from the holes of our democracy. It comes from the beginning and the creation of this country that was created in a hierarchical class system, a system that created classes based on race, socioeconomic status, and gender, and even where those intersect. 
And if any narrative comes in to attack that system, then the faction in which that system protects will obviously attack that narrative. Mm. So they'll do whatever they can, like you said, even from that quote about oligarchy, to create, even if that means crisis, to maintain a system. So there's this need to protect this whiteness. There's this need to protect the system. There's this need to protect white emotion because all of that is what creates the fortified structures that have created this country. So that kind of answers my next question pertaining to why one group of people's healing and their pain being recognized, the travesties committed against them mean that another group is losing or being hurt or like why are they able to play victim in this situation and you basically just answered it's it's really necessary in order to maintain a sense of status quo and comfortability yeah if i'm at the top of this hierarchy and every class underneath is maintained in their position through their pain any narrative of healing can then empower you to change your position and you're changing your position threatens my system. I can't have anything to threaten my system because then that threatens my position. That threatens my property of whiteness. And that threatens ultimately my power. So I can't allow you to threaten my system, how I've created it. And that means being willing to sacrifice your healing or compromise your healing for the sake of my interest. Mm. So I can't view your healing without seeing how it's interdependent or codependent on my power or my my power is codependent on your pain discussing privilege becomes really muddy you know especially with those who have this implicit bias and are many times unaware within them not self-aware of it you know how do we have these conversations you know, how do you how do you see that working out? The problem is they don't want to have those conversations for the same reasons, because having those conversations alters their narrative. A lot of the current controversy around CRT started because of not only the desire to have CRT in the curriculum in schools, but also because of the anti-bias, the anti-racism, the implicit bias trainings that were beginning to happen in the workplace and in the workforce after the killing of George Floyd. Mm. Because then there became this public reckoning or recognition of racism in different institutions and how it's institutionalized. And so to superficially combat that, they started pushing these implicit bias trainings. Once again, something that was not only created in that time, but started to come to the forefront due to the current climate. And so the pushback to that was the manufactured controversy against CRT. And so they don't want to have the conversation because they understand the power in conversation. Derek Bell has said that stories can shatter complacency and it challenges the status quo. So if there's power in challenging what exists with just a story, I cannot have this conversation because just this conversation alone opens up a space to put a hole around what I have garrisoned. I have been protecting whiteness since the creation of this country and just a mere conversation, a mere counter narrative 
can show a weak spot in my system, Mm -hmm. which is why the story can't be told. So there's this fear of having these conversations. There's this inability to have the conversation because it disrupts the master narrative. If I bring in a counter narrative that says you're implicitly biased, if I bring in a character narrative that says you have white privilege, this is what it is. It exists inherently. And this is how you combat it. That disrupts the master narrative. They cannot afford that. Opponents to CRT cannot afford that. Protectors of the system cannot afford that. And when I say the system, I mean the white supremacist power structure. Richard Delgado, he says something too about stories and counter stories that I really liked. And he said that they serve an equally important destructive function because they can show us what we believe is ridiculous. They can show us that what we believe is self-serving or cruel. And they can show us the way out of the trap of unjustified exclusion and help us understand when it's time to reallocate power. So if my counter story can do that, they cannot allow allow it to be heard. So they cannot allow implicit bias trainings. They cannot allow any of this. And so to push back against once that momentum started to happen in 2020, they manufactured at the same time the controversy around CRT. It all was hand in hand. And it really, it reminded me personally of like the saying that until the lion learns how to write, every story will glorify the hunter. Mm-hmm. Lions know how to write, but now it's a matter of suppressing what we wrote. It's a matter of we cannot expose what you wrote because then we will no longer be glorified. We will no longer be fortified in our position. The story of the tiger will never be told as long as it's being told by the hunter. And the winners of the wars, they write history. And this right here is a slippery slope. Um, This is obviously not about an academic theory. And it's pretty dangerous for the system and the structure that we that we know of today, the laws being passed are being targeted at the way history is being portrayed in schools. So what effect do you see this having on the youth? You're completely right. It has, once again, nothing to do with CRT and it has more with attacking the truth. It has more with attacking history and it has more with reproducing the same controversy. And I think it's really interesting because I was reading one of the bills that Georgia is actually trying to enact. And in like the first two pages, they literally say racism and institutionalized racism does not exist. They say, based off of the fact that we had the Civil War, we already attacked the issue of racism. And they said, based off of movements in history, and they even quote a civil rights movement activist to say, because we've had these moments, racism and institutionalized racism does does not exist. And they use that as a basis as to why CRT should not be introduced into the curriculums in Georgia. And when I was reading that, I was like, you're literally lying (laughs) about history to affect what's happening presently. And so they understand the power in controlling history to affect your present. And that's obviously what this is more so about. And so how does that affect the youth, the people who are currently being taught presently through these different curriculums? 
is quite what I think to be obvious, but it perpetuates a cycle so that generational thinking doesn't die, but it's passed on to the next generation and the next generation and the next, because that's how we're able to maintain history. Right, right. How each generation experiences, how each generation, what each generation experiences and what each generation thinks. And because that generational thinking is what fortifies the power and the power structures and the institutions in this country, it's literally a way of thinking. It's literally a narrative that is controlling these things, not only in this country, but also subsequently globally, because we saw the reach that American history has on the world. We saw that through George Floyd. So if we control the generational thinking, then we can maintain the system and the status quo. If we control the generational thinking, we maintain whiteness. If we control generational thinking, we maintain what we have. And control generational thinking by shaping how they think. And if it's the teacher's job to teach history, not the legislature's, then you have to recognize or you can see more clearly how they're trying to control and manipulate. And they obviously know that history situates you presently, (laughs) then they Mm -hmm. have to control history. And to be a part of a democracy, you have to understand the history of that democracy. And understanding that history means looking at it through a CRT lens because race is so indoctrinated and intertwined with the creation of the democracy, quote unquote, democracy in this country. But as the history is being truthfully excavated through CRT and through other means, the hunters, the people who control the narrative, this faction doesn't want that truth to be told. So they're doing their best to interrupt that and to manipulate that and they're doing so with the tried and true strategy basically saying that if you interfere with the way we tell history our children are going to be harmed by it and that's the new well not the new because actually this is something that's been done through history that if you tell history a certain way truthfully it's going to hurt our children and by our children they mean white children but like i said it's not a new argument it's an old one It was used during integration with Brown v. Board. It was the same argument against how we shaped our telling of the Civil War. It was the same argument that was even used for or used against students' rights for free speech during the Vietnam War. If you think about Tinker, the SCOTUS case Tinker, where they had to maintain who tells the story And their reasoning was to protect their children. And that's the same thing that we're seeing now. So this is really just an attack on who tells the story, how it's being told, an attack on history, an attack on academic freedom, an attack on freedom of speech, an opposition to teaching the truth, to teaching history. Truly unconstitutional. You know, you said that when you brought up the GA bill and how they basically tried to rationalize that the way that the civil war turned out proves that institutionalized racism doesn't exist. Like what was there, what were they standing on? Like what, what's the logic behind that? 
obvious, obviously it's faulty, you know, but I, what was said like specifically that really rocked you? I could just read it if I could pull it up because I was just, and it was literally in the first like page or two and it's an 18 page bill. So they said slavery, racial discrimination under the law and racism in general are so inconsistent with the founding principles of the United States that Americans fought a civil war to eliminate the first, waged long-standing political campaigns to eradicate the second, and rendered the third unacceptable in the court of public opinion, all of which dispels the idea that the United States and its institutions are systemically racist and confutes the notion that slavery, racial discrimination under the law, and racism should be at the center of public elementary, secondary, and post-secondary educational institutions. A clear definition of terms, racism. A lot of people don't know what that is. You know, that's also another buzzword. A lot of people don't know what that is. I want to have a conversation about that as well. But it's prejudice, discrimination, or antagonism directed against a person or people on the basis of their membership in a particular racial or ethnic group, typically one that is a minority or marginalized and intersectionality is often not considered in 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 this situation as well that plays a large part in it all and obviously the definition of racism in the bill does not align with what i just said you know that that doesn't sound like they're the same thing if they're saying that racism um has been eradicated that's very interesting so i was reading this book, and it said that one is a fool. If you are a student, you're naive, he said, as a matter of fact. You're naive if you're a student and you, you get into a, a, a little spat dispute with your professor on any matter, honestly, because that professor is backed by the institution and they hired that professor. You know, they're, especially on the when it comes to the the argument of curriculum, you know, and what is what we're being educated on, you, it's not really something you can refute because this professor is backed by the institution and the institution is backed by the state. But it's interesting how you referenced earlier, like it's the teacher's job to educate, you know, not the legislators. But you see, these things aren't separated. Like, for instance, the church and the state have never been separated, but where we in today's society, that's it's not thought about or, or it's disregarded. And in that same way, there is a marriage between the education system and the government. And this is the way that they control the narrative of history. So you discuss generational thinking and how we have a chance to shape our lives. Is there anything that we as students right here and as young adults, to all of the listeners, to whoever is participating in this enlightening conversation, what is it that needs to be done from your perspective? What advice would you give them? Anybody, um, whatever they identify as, as far as racially or anything like, what do you suggest? Don't depend on the master to give you the tools to dismantle his house. So if you depend on 
the institution or the teacher to fulfill your education, then you've already suffered and done a disservice to yourself. Especially given the current climate, but also given the privileges and opportunities we have that those before us didn't. You, we, me, we all have access to so much. And if you limit yourself to just thinking that one person is going to feed you with everything you need, then you're just limiting and stunting your own development. And especially if you know that that said person is being backed by an institution that's being backed by a government that is maintaining something that has been created to hurt you or that has been created to enable you, depending on which side of the track you fall. So if I know that I'm a student, K through 12, undergrad, grad, or just a student of life, and that the person who's feeding me education is not doing so truthfully, and the way in which this person is teaching me only hurts me, I would be a fool to sit there and just get hurt. So if I can listen to uproar radio station and listen to the different perspectives and experts and people that come on and give me a different understanding, if I can read a different book that's not on my syllabus, if I can go and talk to a person that lived through this, because let's not think that so many of these lived experiences were so long ago. If I can go and even just pull up an article on the internet or go get my local newspaper, which is probably more beneficial than reading mainstream media. If I can get involved in some kind of mentorship opportunity with someone who I respect, who has ideas that I've seen that I'm interested or curious about, then I can feed myself. But if you just sit around waiting for the master to give you tools to break down his own house, that ain't never gonna happen. Mm -hmm. And if you truly want to develop, whether it's as an academic or just as a person, there has to be a means in which you create your own analytical tools that also include nuance and complexity. Because more likely than not, the, these back institutions are not going to give it to you. Right. Or if they give it to you, they give it to you piecemeal. Like you said, even when you were defining racism, people think of racism as such a individual superficial harm. Yeah. But to have the true understanding of what racism is, not only through your own lived experiences, you got to go past that. You have to go into the complexity and the nuance of it. And so Community building is important, and whether that be through your geographical community, through your affinity communities. But we have, especially now, 2022, the means to educate ourselves and the access to different tools so that we're not relying solely on the master. Because if you do, we will never get anywhere. So self-education and utilization of the tools that are available to us to self-educate is the way that we go about separating truth and agenda. That's what you're saying. Beautifully said, beautifully said. Hollow sorrowfulness, apologies, tributes, and moments of silence for all of what's been done seems to be as far as America has been willing to go in regards to these historical travesties. You've elaborated on why there is fear surrounding the topic as it threatens the status quo. 
What do you see in the near future? How do you see this going? What is the direction that you foresee? I don't want to sound cynical, but ain't no going because we're just doing the same thing. And I've realized in my own experience, especially in the last two or three years, even outside of the external factors in the climate of this country, world, whatever, that there is no real desire for or actualized progress. There really is not. We're just in a cyclical pattern. And as I mentioned before, it's the same controversy just being remanufactured. And it's also the same response being remanufactured. And we see that that doesn't substantively get us anywhere. It's all cosplay. It's all performative. There's no real movement in any one direction. And while there's been momentum and while there's been energy and while there's been viral moments, what, what has happened since 2020? What's tr- if you really critically think about it, what has happened since 2020 in terms of your ability to exist in this country? There has not been much change, honestly. And Has there been any? No. Are you still afraid of the same things you were afraid of pre-2020? No, not me personally, but I can definitely say that that's only because of self-education and um and furthering myself down the path of self-improvement within, you know, mm-hmm. facing the things that I fear on a daily basis, confronting the structures and people that tell me, no, you can't do that, you know, but that's just me personally. That's not really something that um we're doing on a large scale. Like you said, it's um hard pill to swallow and something that I ponder on a daily basis just really makes you wonder. I couldn't I couldn't bring myself to personally bring a child into a situation like like what we're experiencing unless I were to see very vividly and undeniably this shift towards higher consciousness altogether, you know, um, but that's just me, you know. I definitely agree. While I personally, like you mentioned, may recognize a shift in my own personal consciousness, I don't know how that has moved the meter in society terms. However, once you have all these different individuals who are changing their higher consciousness, banding together, creating true unity, then we'll see real progression. And so it starts with oneself, obviously, but that self being disconnected from the system and creating their own awareness and higher consciousness within their own community, separate from the hand of the government, separate from the hand of the system. And I don't think, obviously that is probably happening on local scales in local communities, but for us to see it nationally, I haven't seen it. Yeah. And for it to happen on any kind of grand scale, I haven't seen it. So what direction do I see us moving in? I don't. 
but hopefully we can mm. see us moving towards self-governance, higher consciousness, and a separation, because there has to be a complete separation dependent on this system. It's called Stockholm Syndrome, right? You know, being in, falling in love with your abuser mm-hmm. and protecting it even, you know, becoming its guard dog. You referenced fear. Fear is something that at our root, you know, um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the chakras, the seven main chakras. The root chakra is blocked by fear and it is the way that we go about satisfying our desire for survival. And it is attacked on a daily basis. Like I got to get this or I ain't going to, or I ain't going to, I can't survive without it. We're, we're, we're enslaving ourselves to things on a daily in the name of survival, whether it be a dollar bill, whether it be that job, that person, like whatever, you know, and it's like, it's playing on our insecurities. And when this is the lower states, a lower state of consciousness, fear, guilt, shame, you know, these are all low vibrational ways to control if you understand how to exploit. And this is what's not being understood within. And, you know, these aren't easy conversations to have at all. And I got to tell you, I saw my gratitude. This language is not fit to express my gratitude. You need to understand that. It's not fit to express what I, what this means to me right here, right now. You being so many miles away, I wish you were right here with me, you know? And obviously conversations like this, people will hear, it will hopefully spark something in them, but that that can't be the expectation. The fact that we have manifested this energy is what is truly valuable. So as far as advising me right here, right now, as a person, but also as the Uproar Radio Show host and advising my department, should we continue down this path that we're moving down? Or basically what I'm asking is, what should we avoid? Tell me that. What should I steer clear from, from your perspective? Steer clear from applause because it's a narrow path for change. And if you do things seeking man's approval, you're not going to change anything. Man's applause is fickle. Men are easily swayed. When I say men, I mean like mankind. Yes, yes. Putting genders or anything. If you have a purpose, become very clear of the vision. Become very firm in the purpose. Do so with love. Do so with integrity. Do so with honesty. And maintain your own wind. Don't let your wind be determined by the fickleness of men. Don't let your wind be determined by lights. Don't let your wind be determined by applause and don't let your wind be distracted. So if you have a clear vision of what you see for your own personal life and what you see for uproar radio, maintain that vision. I'm a Christian, so I always bring things back to Bible. And if you think about Jesus, the same men who praised him and screamed Hosanna to the highest were the same men who screamed crucify him. So don't be swayed in your purpose. Jesus's purpose was to die on the cross and that was it. He fixed his eyes towards that purpose and that's what he did. 
the praises of Hosanna and the cries of crucify him did not sway him in his purpose. And it was that firmness, despite how it made him feel, because it was hard to do. He cried and sweat tears of, I mean, and sweat blood. That's how hard it was to bring himself to the cross. It was hard. It ain't going to be easy. But he did it anyway. And he was firm in knowing that nothing can sway him from that purpose. So be firm. Don't be swayed. Be intentional. Have clear vision. And also have love. Because as you spoke about love, I mean, as you spoke about fear, it reminded me of a scripture that says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out or drives out fear. When you, like you said, do have that fear, is creating you to experience at a low level. But love, perfect love casts out fear. So remembering why you set out on this path to begin with, I'm probably going to assume comes from a love for your people. Perfect love casts out fear. Where there is fear, there is no love. Mm-hmm. So if I had to bring all of what I just rambled into key points, don't be swayed by men. Be firm in your purpose. Be clear and intentional in your vision. And always maintain love. Thank you so much. You know, you will always be a friend, not only to me, Bryant, but to Uproar Radio, to WCUG, to Columbus State University, hopefully. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm making a claim for them. All I know is me, you know, for sure. It's all love. I so much appreciate you. Everybody that is listening, magic has been made, man, truly. So is there anything else you would like to leave my listeners with? That's just a, such a loaded and, and sometimes hard question because it's like, ah, how do I fit everything I'm thinking in a concise way? How do I touch on everything I want to say? And I don't know that I can or ever will be able to. Because we're always learning, we're always developing, we're always experiencing. But as it currently stands, I'm encouraged by you. And I'm grateful that you are out here encouraging others, including myself. And I hope that you are encouraged to continue in whatever your fight looks like, in whatever lane it is you feel is yours, in whatever vision it is that you have for yourself. And for everyone listening, whatever inclination there is to be a change agent in whatever lane or way they see fit, I encourage you to be encouraged. Because a fight is a fight, which means there is resistance. And so it's hard, but it's necessary. So be encouraged. Be fortified. Be resilient. But keep putting your feet to the pavement. Don't worry about mainstream. Don't worry about likes. But just effectuate the change that you can, even if that's one-on-one interaction with who you see every day. You don't know how much that can change the world. So be encouraged. Be resilient. Be educated. But be present. Don't give up. Y'all heard it here. You are encouraged to continue to be in the best way that you know how and continue to educate yourself so that you know best, 
so that you know better. Let's say that because this is like she said, we're constantly experiencing, constantly growing, constantly learning. Keep inspiring inspiration. Thank you all so much for being here today. And thank you so much, Miss Macbeth. My favorite, my favorite conversation thus far, hands down. I, I'm, I'm just going to be straight up with you. <laughs> that is amazing. That encourages me. Thank you. It was an honor and a privilege. I don't take this opportunity lightly. I was so excited to even have this opportunity. I was so excited to speak with you in this conversation. I appreciate just as much as you, if not more. And I will take it with me because you have also inspired me encouraged me, taught me, and I'm going to keep that win going. So I thank you for this opportunity, Brian. I thank you, Uproar Radio. Thank you, Columbus State. We'll see what the future has in store for all of these relationships, but I thank you for this opportunity in this moment. I'm very appreciative. Once again, y'all, Ms. Donna Macbeth, the Assistant District Attorney of Philadelphia, here in the studio long distance with me today, dropping gems, dropping knowledge, and Spreading love. So let's give it back to her, y'all. Please. Whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking, give yourself grace and hope that the world will give it back. Y'all take care. Love. Cooperation of the student staff with WCUG Cougar Radio and the CSU Department of Communication. Thanks to Department Chair Dr. Dana Gibson and WCUG Faculty Advisor Dr. Bruce Getz for their help in airing this show. Brian Griggs Jr. produced this episode and editor this week is show. Operations Director of WCUG Cougar Radio is Show Urakawa. Our programming manager is Lewis Myers. Marketing manager is Logan Swaim. And our production manager is Austin Slocum. You can listen to this show and more online by searching for our call letters at WCUG. Thanks for listening to this episode of Upper Radio.